Hello and welcome to another episode of the Comics Fondle Podcast. My name is Andrew and my blog is ComicsFondle.com. And I'm the other half, Vernon. I'm the proud proprietor of the Comics Gallery of Wilmette, Illinois, a fine comics retailing establishment. And this and is what, our six-week-ish, what? Six weeks sounds right, yeah. Six weeks. Yeah. It's been, I know it's been six weeks, but last time we said we are going to try to do this monthly, but I think six weeks is about right for us. Well, especially with the amount of material coming out today that you and I actually want to read, it's kind of like been squished down a little bit, you know what I mean? We didn't, like, I don't know, to me, August was a bit of a wash, you know, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff that came out in August, it certainly wasn't enough for you and I to get out here and talk about, but uh, anyway, we talk a lot about a lot of shit, but let's just go right into the opening rant, how is that? go for it. I'm the rant guy, I'm really sorry, it's what happens when you're the comics retailer and you have to deal with the monetary aspects of this silly hobby, but... Uh, for the third row, uh, third month in a row, uh, overall comic sales are down about 25% from the same time a year ago. Three months in a row is not good. Um, who is our guy? There's a guy, Todd Allen, blogs at Heidi'sTheBeat.com, Comics Beat. And he's done these really simple graphs for people who don't want to get too far in love with statistical analysis on numbers. And there's these big gaps now between what the highest published titles between Marvel and DC and what they're selling per issue and a hundred thousand copies. Okay. Now, as we know, the top 10 is primarily filled with books that are at 100,000 or a little under there. But the fact that there's a huge gap now that goes down to like 50,000 and a lot of titles, it's a no man's land. There are no titles in between there this month. It's very scary. So, uh, they really got to get their shit together. And, I'm just saying, well, how long does the rudderless ship float around, you know, and continue to lose money before you say, well, you know, we've got to rescue those retailers. They need some product to sell, but I'm not quite sure we're part of the game plan. Uh, Marvel, eh, the worst case scenario here, uh, Legacy. uh, We're still trying to figure out what Legacy actually is other than like a, uh, what would you call it, a um, romantic, melodramatic uh, nostalgic look at their characters, but there's no real reason for them to exist anymore. I'm not quite sure. They haven't quite explained it to me. Um, but the legacy numbering thing too, like, okay, do we really need Captain America number 687 right now? Does that make a difference, you know? And and the lenticular covers, which all of you who have internet have heard about already from retailers and having to jump through hoops just to get those when DC was nice enough to offer them as freely available variants, okay? So they're desperate or something smells over at Marvel's Madison offices because, ugh, I don't know. And, and DC, well, they're chugging along, but they still haven't, like, their biggest problem is they're not putting out enough books to make up for um, attrition, okay? DC has a fair amount of books. In fact, you could easily cancel the bottom 20% of their line because those barely make money, I'm thinking, or not enough to interest them. But they're not coming up with anything on the top list to start out again. Like, Metal is cool. Have you heard about Metal? God help you, the uh, new DC hit? See, you're out of it, I'm sorry to say. You're just well, too I mean, I've fun. heard of it, but I don't know yeah. anything about it. It's They turn well, into, it's Voltron, but with the Justice League or something? You know, that works for me. Let's just go with that. Uh, it's just, I need six fucking medals. I don't need one medal. I need six medals, okay? So... They're both like uh, really choking us off here at the uh, the teat, 
And uh, I'm just kind of wondering, you know, like as we get down to the end of the year and whatnot, like where, where, where are we going to stand as a comics industry? All right. Well, I made that quick, and hopefully it's not too Armageddon-like for the customers we love who love to listen to us. Fern, you got to lighten up, man. You're just killing me here. I tell you, I start <laughs> breaking out the Kleenex and crying when you talk about comic books. But thank God there's good comic books, right, Andrew? Yes. Uh, we we found some. We did. Amazing. Wait a second. Wait a second. Did Letter what? 44 finish? It did. Oh, yeah, we should mention that. We didn't talk about that. Yeah. Uh, you want to – we'll – uh, yeah, letter forty four. That was one of our fun reads. Now you didn't quite keep up at the end, but I, I did not. Part. You finished the whole thing, so uh, uh, no, no. Well, uh, uh, yeah, go open with it. <laughs> no spoilers, kids. Um, ultimately, the finish was adequate. Uh, again, he needed an editor. All right, he needed to, to chop out some stuff, and he makes this weird move on issue thirty four of thirty five, which. Gets meta and realistic all at once, and I'm not quite sure why he did it right then, right there. Uh, a flawed piece of work, but he finishes it, okay? okay. And he, 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 like I said, uh, again, if he had an editor, he might have uh, saved some shortcomings on the series. But, you know, if you're an indie guy and you like conspiracy stuff, it's perfectly fine. You know, I wish, I wish that... It didn't go 35 issues. I mean, for some reason, there's this need because I looked at the sales figures on issue 35 and you know how many they were? 2,400 plus copies. So it didn't make it in the top 300 in Diamond. It was down there in the 400 plus area. Um, so I'm not quite sure if they made any money or they just kind of finished off the series. You know, it's probably doing profit numbers or whatever it was. Profit, I think, was selling 6,000 at the end or 4,000. I don't know. But when yeah. I. Ate it, 2400 I was like, oh, damn, that's tough, man. You know, that's that's tough. Does anybody make any money at 2400 copies? I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you can find that stuff out. Um, <laughs> but do you really want to know? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think um, there's been creators, uh, particularly like Brian K. Vaughn and uh, what's her name? Rocket Girl Chick. You know which one? The one Reader. that started. Huh? Amy Reader. Yeah, she her boyfriend Brendan Brendan what's his name or Montclair yeah Montclair maybe not boyfriend I just I shouldn't say that yeah. her 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 uh, her creative partner um, he gave a good explanation of breakdowns one time on an internet post he did about what it takes to be an indie artist yeah to make I remember that yeah yeah um, but I don't think they're doing it here and you know something uh, letter 44 will be remembered as one of those interesting experiments in comics i think uh, that that would be summing it up for me but uh, yeah it was pretty rough there 2400 copies Ugh. you know <laughs> Ooh. only the diehards made it to the end i'm thinking you know yeah so is but, it worth is it worth doing in trade i guess silence speaks volumes uh you know, I thought it could have been better, and it needed an editor. And if, if it did have a good editor behind it, it would be a much better story and more compact. And it's like one of the problems that faces modern comics is, well, the writers and artists get to do what they want, regardless of how well it interacts with the best interests of the book sometimes. You know, they're not, they're not given creative direction from somebody who's experienced enough or read enough comics to say, mm -hmm. well, you know... I agree with this, but I don't think it's working or something. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. And uh, I, I will mention editors again under the kill or be killed uh, thing. 
Oh, jeez. All right. So next up is uh, Jimmy's Bastards, number three, Garth Ennis's, uh, Garth Ennis and Russ Braun's What If uh, James Bond's uh, Legions of Bastards came out to kill him. Um, you know, it's still fun. I yes. Mean, three issues in, still lots of still fun. I lots mean. of fun. You know, not heavy lifting for Menace. Not at all. But... Um, yeah, it's uh, we'll talk about him some more a little bit later, but it's this, it's almost like since um, what's the one, the one I loved, the twelve issue series, the NS one, Dynamite, cartoon style, Train Called Love. Oh yes, Train Called since Love. Since Train yes. Called Love, it seems like he is much more willing to just go for easy humor. He, you know, he keeps things moving though. I'm, you know, I'm he does. He does. And, and, and it's just, you know, even though it's not packed with material, it's just, it's all really well executed. You know what I mean? And each page has got stuff going on and the book just doesn't let up. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it I guess the pedal down. I guess, um, I just remember in Wormwood, was it a bunny? Yeah. Well, something like that. Yeah. 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 The bunny would like, you know, troll people on the internet at the bar and there'd be these one-off jokes. And it seems like, you know, Ennis is doing that humor. It's a different phase of his career. I feel yeah. like he has actually entered a new phase of his career where he's uh, a lot more, his mainstream work is a lot less ambitious. Right. But it's really self-assured. Right. But that's the thing is, he's just so good that, like, he can't, he's just, it's like, what if, you know, Brubaker just had kept rolling him out as opposed to what happened? Right. You know, I mean, it's just like this smoothness. It's, um, yes, it's the Alan Moore smoothness, split. you know, yeah. but it's like, is <clears throat> Ennis's period right now? you know, following the Alan Moore comparison, is it America's best comics time? You know, are these lighter comedies, but lighter violent comedies? Um, are those America's best comics? You know, is it like he's gotten done with his well, first yeah, experiment or is he winding down? Right. There, that's good. That's a good point. Cause he's definitely in a different phase of his writing. And, uh, you, you compare the type of humor and, and in-your-face stuff to, say, the first Punisher series. And right. It, that is a very measured uh, – well, they're both measured, but this the Punisher stuff was more slower and build up to the jokes where this stuff is just hitting you in the face with it you know, constantly. Yeah. And there's just so much to keep up with. That he's having a very good time writing it, you know, and I'm I'm three issues in and I just can't wait for the next one. You know, Russ know. Braun's art is Russ good Braun. too. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's this is perfect combination for the two of them. Yeah, these two, they, they must love each other because they've done so much work together over the last five or six years. It's amazing. I remember when he came in on The Boys and I was like, wow, who's this guy? You can really fucking draw, you know, and there you go. But yeah, Jimmy's Bastard is definitely a title that you want. Take my word for it. It is it is R-rated and very in-your-face with sex and violence, so be careful on that one. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Coming down there, Howard Chaikin. You know what? While I'm sitting here ranting on him, um, look up his age for me, will you? Uh, I'm curious to see how – he's got to be 70-plus by now, I'm thinking. 
And I'm starting to equate him with the grand old men, although he's probably not as old as Richard Corbin. Maybe. 66. Oh, he's only 66. Oh, my. He's only got 10, 10 years on me. Wow. Um, but he's he, he seems to be hitting this, like, uh, measured age of wine type of thing for a comic book artist. And he's, in a way, it's similar to what we were talking about with Ennis's, like, slickness and, and craft and how to write. And he's hit these things. And, and at this point, he's just chucked any interest in other than what he wants to do out the window. And it's kind of nice because it kind of reminds you of the attitude of Robert Crumb in the underground. It's like mm. he doesn't go, this is what I'm talking about, okay? If you don't like it, I don't give a shit. I'm not reading your letters anyway. Um, he teams up with, let me get let me get a couple of names here. Absolute great colorist. Who is this colorist? Will Cont- Quintana. And Ken Brusenak from the old... Oh. Um, American Flag Days is doing his lettering, you know, and it's quite a nice little piece of, 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 of. I don't know. I I hate to call it propaganda, um, but it's very in-your-face, arrogant humor, and it pushes political buttons, and it says a lot of incorrect political things, which is fine because he doesn't care, and that's what I like about it. You know, I mean, it's a very unique comic book in the fact that it. Uh, throws a lot of stuff out there. It, it just lets it show itself for the hypo- hypocrisy of what how things work and what they are. And um, it's kind of a big editorial cartoon with fast moving Howard Chicken characters. I guess you'd say. You know, there's a whole lot of brutality, a whole lot of ugh, rough sex, and but it's fun to read. Even though the world's going to hell in the head basket and terrorists are taking over America, it's still a great read. <laughs> Not for people who are easily uh, distressed with uh, with uh, Donald Trump, though. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's it's almost like a prelude to the Armageddon. You know, it could happen. You know, so it's pretty good stuff. I'm, I'm digging it. I mean, it's a good ride. You know, you talk about a roller coaster ride, and Howard Chaykin knows how to deliver a roller coaster ride. And they're fun to read, and he just he caps them off beautifully. Oh, here's a. Favorite, you can have our favorite lately. I can have Black Hammer, Black Hammer 12. Now, is this uh, I feel like we did this one, we just missed this one on the last issue or on the last podcast. We'll mention again because it needs the uh, it needs the promotion. Yeah, I just need to I just need to take a look at the cover to re familiarize myself here. You have the comic right there. Uh, Yeah, this is it. Yes, so now we get the secret origin of Black Hammer's daughter. Yes, and, and the secret origin, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's a lot of time spent in whatever it's called, Spiral City or whatever, more than, um, you know, because it's Lucy. That's her name, Lucy. Lucy. Uh, it, it, you know, it's we're seeing her grow up in the city after the heroes have left and all this stuff. And it's, it's really kind of interesting because the second, <clears throat> I not really arc, but since Lucy's got there, she has sort of taken a more central position. Like Abraham was more the protagonist in the first five issues, but now we've shifted over to her at least being the one who's doing the questioning. Um, the way we're learning. Luger's about like that. He, he likes to, yeah. The story, yeah, he bounces all over the place, doesn't he? He works it out. So it's a... Each but, yeah, he gets... 
<laughs> hey, we're both yeah, we're both leading in. Sorry, folks. Um, you know, he gets he gets so many like these different alleyways and areas to go take the story. Like you know, sometimes I get really mad that we haven't like progressed further with like the who done it and what done it and what's going on mm-hmm. and what's conspiracy. You know, because twelve issues in and we're still a little closer. I don't think to the mystery than we were earlier. I'm not really sure, even though he's been feeding us little bits. Um, but you like these little journeys, and this is just like her journey of discovering who her father was and what she's going to be and how she tries to change her own fate and stuff like that. And beautifully illustrated by David Rubin, of course, the man whose name comes up constantly these days. You know, dark horses, dark horses, what this book is. It's a favorite super team book right now. I'm thinking yeah. Do you have any other super team books that are favorites right, right now. I don't know. Am I even reading any uh, other superhero books right now would be the, the right question. Um, I, yeah, I, I bombarded you with shit today just because of that. I was like, oh, man, I, I just felt like reading. And I felt like a bunch of, like, might bring up Mr. Miracle or Doom Patrol or something. I'm like, hey, I, read I know Mr. he doesn't Miracle read this, one. but I, I read, read Mr. Miracle 1. Okay, so uh, Doom Patrol. Tell me all about Doom Patrol. Uh, you know, I, I, I wish, you know, there's, there's parts of Grant Morrison, and, and he's not the writer on here. But there's parts of Grant Morrison's stream of consciousness stuff that really has to add up. And I think Gerald Way kind of understands that. I think my patience is beginning to lose it for the more surreal aspects of the book. Uh, they had a nice little first arc of five or six issues. And then there was a good fill-in by Allred, which was an outstanding fill-in by Allred on this thing. And the book seemed to gel. I'm not quite sure I care enough at this point. Eight might be my last one because I just didn't really jive with how the situation was going um, I did like the first arc, though. I can recommend that. Uh, but I just get, you know, like sometimes um, a shiny new object isn't shiny and new after a while. And you're just kind of, okay, been here and I'm ready to move on. And I think I'm kind of ready. The only problem is Nick Darrington's artwork is just so good. Yeah. He's such a great find. And I'm like, oh, man, this guy is really good. I want to see him do more stuff, you know. I don't want to see him do it on a monthly basis, though. See, that was one of the problems. This book never comes out. So it really hurt its sales, okay. And uh, I'm sure Nick was part of it. Maybe Gerald Way's scripts where he's a rock and roll musician, not necessarily a disciplined comics writer. But this guy's too good to have to do 20 pages in a month. You know, let him do it in six weeks or something like that. You know, it's just not that kind of book. But it has to be monthly to work at DC. So I think this book is doomed. (laughs) You know, but it's too bad. It's a bittersweet ending, you know. I like the book. I just wish I liked it better, and I just wish that things had worked out. <laughs> what is it? What's it called? The the young animals line? It's all gone. Yeah. It makes it, it, there's nothing left. It's already yeah. gone? Okay. Well, they're published in their last issues, but these things are already in their four and $5,000 counts or whatever the hell it is that passes for legitimacy these days. I don't know. I'll say something nice about me about Sabrina. That's what I want to hear about Sabrina. Oh, Sabrina. Sabrina number eight. Bringing back um, Sabrina, Sabrina to the yeah. comic. Yeah. And uh, so we've had some, I don't know, it's been about, what, three, two years since uh, Sabrina was around in Sabrina. Has it been two years? It's been almost two years, right? Well, there was a, a year between uh, the prior issue and the one before that. And, and I one feel month. like it was a lot in between. Oh, a- no, in between, uh, what would that be? Six, five and six, too. Yeah, there was time between those as well. 
it was more of a bi-monthly, but six came out, and then there was a year between six and seven, and then almost four weeks to the day, eight comes out. So that's weird, okay? But you know, the funny thing is, any other book that I could remember would have been squashed by that. But we're just happy to see Sabrina. Yeah. It's like an old friend that came around. It the is. Corner, and it's, you know? I mean, it's just, I wonder if some of that is. So Sabrina started after. After, after Life with Archie. with Archie had sort of gelled and they'd sort of shown that they were going to be able to keep doing this. And it wasn't a one, it wasn't a flash in the pan. Right. Right. And 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 that was having deadline problems too at Frank of you. Right. They couldn't get that one out on time either. So and it almost seemed like at the time Sabrina was coming out because the Archie artist was too slow. Thinking that myself, but yeah. it could be Sarkaza. You don't know. Yeah. He maybe had yeah. But uh, okay, so with eight, I I it's almost like they're treating the horror line as special events. They, yeah, they have they, to be. They have to be, like, the release of it. And But the thing is, is that something about the horror genre, even when it's a continuing story, lends itself to that sort of long wait in between. And, well, the whole story, which you're dying to find out a resolution to, though, that's, that's the toughie. Uh, it, it's funny when a book doesn't come out, like three issues in a year plus, and yet the two of the three don't even have Sabrina mm. in them. And we still don't care. That is amazing. Yep. It's amazing. It's testimony to how good the writer and the artist are syncing up with one another and producing this great comic book. If you don't read Sabrina, you should be. Uh, Roberto Aguirre Sarcaza, the writer, and Robert Hack, the artist, are just the bee's knees, baby. Every yeah. issue of this is great. And it, it's so horrific. You know, it's nasty horrific. It's just gross. <laughs> it's fucking gross. It's right. so gross. And it's so beautiful. You're going to be so freaked out about this book. And I mean, like what, what her, 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 her aunts look like in their oh, real yeah. ah, Jesus, that's disgusting. You know, Ugh. and poor <sighs> Harvey. Yeah. I mean, that, oh, God. Uh, I don't know. I, I think our reaction pretty much says it. Uh, Sabrina's good stuff. Good to see issue eight. God bless yeah. you. Know. All right. Lady Killer eight. Uh, Joe L. Jones finally finished up her miniseries, second miniseries with her um, assassin character. I guess that's the one she's created and owned. Um, I give it to the series issue five of five. I give it an okay. Um, it's tough when artists become writers. And uh, there's just not enough going on here for me to feel this has any kind of resolution that I'm interested in. Uh, the artwork is good, although she suffered getting this one out. This took a while. And it doesn't quite have some of the draftsmanship and the challenges she faced in the earlier issues on a visual basis. Um, okay. Not great, not bad. I felt bad that it wasn't better, but it's a nice portfolio piece for her, and we'll leave it at that. So um, next up is uh, one you discovered, Spy yeah. Seal. Yeah. So talking about Spy Seal 1 and 2 because the second one just came out this week. Is, who's Rich Tommaso? 
He's been around for a while, fan graphics guy. Uh, okay. He did that She-Wolf and the Female Gangster series recently, but he's got a lot of stuff through Fanta and all that. Okay. Been around. Been around. Yeah, I kind of remember, I think he was on one of the big books, whatever they were called. Yeah. Remember Mike... the month, the big... Oh, the, uh, yeah, yeah, those big oversized yeah, magazines. The oversized magazine, yeah. yeah. I yeah. think he did that. Um... So yeah, Spy Seal is about a, it's set during the Cold War in London. Uh, everything is an animal. Yes, it's very anthropomorphic, but not. They're not, and, they're not. They don't have human bodies, even though they have arms and legs. They still have their, close to their things, you know? Yeah. And um, there's this unemployed seal who becomes a secret agent. And the first uh, issues him foiling uh i don't know some sort of a crime or espionage and the second issue is him going on his first mission and it's really weird but not and just like tomaso plays he plays with all the regular um sort of james bondy type spy movie tropes for a bit there's a really great chase scene in the second one Yes, he captured the motion of that cheap scene pretty good. Beautifully. Um, and um, then at the end of it, though, he introduces this whole other angle of espionage thrillers. And I'm just kind of like, okay, then. Where's the... Uh, <laughs> yeah, he threw on more gasoline to the fire here. I know. What, what's going on here? This is kind of... It's getting better than I expected it to get. Well, and and, it, it, and and it's got this absolutely wonderful Hergé Tintin influence, too. It it chugs along like a Tintin book, of which you and I are ignorant of because we've never read Tintin. There's that problem. Right. And But I'm like, wow, this looks like a, it looks like a Tintin book, right? So I pick it up. Well, first of all, it was like the Wednesday it came out, you know, and I'm blurry-eyed because it's after lunch. Just opened in the store. And, and like by 3 o'clock, I had two or three people come in and ask for Spy Seal, you know, and I'm like, what the fuck's with Spy Seal? <laughs> so I go over and I pick up the first issue. I'm like, okay, it's a Tintin homage. I get it. And then uh, it took me a couple of weeks later before one of my customers said, oh, did you read Spy Seal? That was great. And I'm like, oh, no, I didn't, you know. So I got around to reading it. I'm like, wow, this is just like weird action adventure with a Seal spy dude who's British. And I loved his obsession with his spy handler yes. who he's in love with. <laughs> <sighs> very convincingly, very, very convincingly portrayed his his love for her, lust, I don't know what it is. But, you know, this is so clean, though. Mm-hmm. You know, these are two issues from a image about stuff, and it's just so clean. I mean, if he keeps this up, this would be a great crossover book for kids. Right. <laughs> but I, I liked it, and his visual complexity carried me through the book quite nicely. Um, it's a better su- it's a better successful melding of his writing and art skills so far that I've seen on some of his more recent art, art, art projects. He was kind of mad though because his last two series got trunic- trunicated. Is that the right word? Yeah. Uh, he had to early he had to finish them earlier than he wanted, which was tough. And hopefully he's got Spy Seal down to like four to six issues, and we can get through that. But it's a lot of fun, man. It's so fucking goofy. So beg your retailer to carry this because you really need Spy Seal in your local comic book store. You really do. Well, Spy Spy Seal has a subtitle on it. Does it? It does. The uh, the case thing. I think he's just going to do them in little like 
you know, kind of like uh, the Alien book. Oh, the Corton Steel Phoenix? That's yeah, the name of it, right? That's the name oh, that, of that... this arc. And I bet, but if you look at the Indi- in Indica, Indicia, uh, it's actually the, that's the full title of the book. Ah, oh, yes, yes. You want the first page. Can you see the first page? This looks like a Tintin book, by the way. It's copied right down to Tintin all the way through it. I feel like there's something else on uh, that we're going to be talking about that's doing that too, but I'm looking at the list right now and I'm blanking. Yeah, anyway. Anyway, great. I don't know. These, you know, these are scary. These huge pages of text that they had. I'm like, oh my God, he's got hundreds of fucking words on this the page. The first time I started reading it, I was like, I can't do this right now. I, I can't do this right, right. I will admit to that. It takes, you got to be in a certain frame of mind to want to get through a word balloon that's got, what, a hundred, a hundred words in it. It's, it's, there, but there's only those are short. Those are like three to four page segments, and then they mm. go to the action stuff. So they they occupy a couple of hits in the latest issue, and they're daunting. But you get through it, you'll be fine. Yeah. You know, Spice Seal, Spice Seal, Spice Seal, right. Spice Seal. Is that my phone? Nope, no good. Anyway, Hercules, and I know you've read this one because it's from England, and uh, it came I, over on a I, container ship. What are you even talking about? I'm just, I'm just shitting you, you man. You put it on the list, and I was like, Vern's I know. There was no the way you were going to be able to read this because I knew that you, it was not available digitally. I don't know. I just it, – it, it's not – What's – It's foreign. It's French translated into English. Okay. The Titan put it out. It's called Hercules, oh, okay. Wrath of the Heavens. And if you are an old heavy metal buff – this is going to make you very happy because this guy, okay, these are French guys that are doing this. And the artist's name, okay, at least when he gives himself, and it's on the cover, it's called Looky. Okay. Okay, so we got a running joke around the store. Looky, 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 looky. <laughs> anyway, I know it's really dumb. But um, the guy's artwork kicks fucking ass. He's a master of digital coloring and composition, and he's really a great draftsman. And this whole, like, uploading of the mythology of Hercules to a digital computer-esque type of world, you know, where he gets to keep the trappings of the gladiator and stuff, but he's still got uh, tattoos that are modern on his chest, and he has guns and stuff, too. And it's just like a real, okay, uh, what would you like, male-based weapon fantasy? But there's really no sexy women in it yet, not the first issue, which is an oversized $5.99 from Titan right now. Who's the writer? Jamor, Jamor, J O M O R V A N. Jamorvan. I, I, I'm at a loss here. He's another one-word guy, though. <laughs> they only got one, one word for their names. Um, but this is right up the heavy metal alley, man. This is, uh, this is death and destruction and robots being smashed up and Hercules kicking ass and having his ass kicked. And it's a really good, like, basic, dopey-ass science fantasy comics. I mean, I, I, it's very well executed, and I look forward to the second issue. Mm-mm. All right. It's like good candy. Can't get enough of it. Yeah, Godshaper. That's God just, this Shaper. is a weird mess. You talk about this one. So, Godshaper by Simon Spurrier and Jonas Goonface. Uh, we like. Yeah, we like, yeah, we're, we like them. Spurrier. Yep. Spurrier's done some great work. Um, yep. And Goonface is a good find, especially on this one. But, he uh, finds somebody new a lot of times. Yeah. Like they're not the same people, yeah. Um, so the book started all right. 
got better, got really good, and has just sort of been floundering. And it's only five issues of six. So I do not see him being able to pull this together well. Yeah, the the fifth issue was it. What what do we use sometimes? It wasn't a train wreck because it kept going, but it it went in a completely wrong direction without the protagonist. Really, I mean that's a sympathetic character, but he's almost absent to a large degree in the issue. Yeah, you know, it's kind of sad. Uh, he's got to pull a rabbit out of his ass on this sixth issue, you know. And it's too bad because we really liked this book and we recommended it. But you know, every once in a while that happens, kids. I mean. Uh, Something happens, and you're like, "Whoa, man! What what happened to this comic?" You know, or whatever. And five is one of those happenings, huh? Yeah. All right. I gotta get rid of the phone. My friends are on a rampage to talk to each other for some bizarre reason. Uh, let's see. Next one's yours. Four. A big disappointment. It's too bad. It is, but I've sort of gotten used to it. Like I'm fine. Yeah, so the shiny object, uh, what do you Yeah. You know, Spurrier seemed to be on the edge of making some kind of point here, you know, but we're not sure what it is, you know, and we're not sure if the protagonists are really mad because I got a lot of emotional. Yeah. When I read, like, four issues of your book and I like it, I get mad when your fifth is really, ugh. Yeah. I don't know. Well. And, here, and, and to, to get into the commercial, you see, this is a good one. I read this because this is what mainstream ought to be, this motocross book. I mean, I have right. some minor flaws with it, and it's not perfect, but it's so much better product than DC and Marvel are doing right now. I mean, they should just give these guys the money and promote this book and get it to sell in real fucking numbers and then <laughs> get an animated show or something, you know? <laughs> well, it's just too good. I don't know what this thing sells, but if Marvel or DC published it, it would sell at least five or ten times as good as it does now. You know, it's like one of those odd books. It, it actually seems very much like a book that Vertigo should have should have run with. Like, yeah, Vertigo could have done some kind of a if they'd actually gone after the sort of teen plus reader. Um, yeah, like Image has with this and Rocket Girl. Well, they have a pretty, you know, I like these guys. They all pair well together. I mean, I don't know if their um, ship fires on all four cylinders, but uh, Fletcher, Stewart, and Tar, you know, they're they're capable of doing some really nice drawing, and they know how to keep a comic going, and they have a great understanding of it. And while Motocrush isn't the kind of subject matter I'm necessarily interested in, they hinted it might be part of in the first arc. And I'm like, oh, I'm not really into it. But you know, it's so well executed, it's hard to get mad at them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I, I would say that would be one to support. You know, they do a good job. Every issue, it's out. Good. Yeah. Hmm. All right, Redneck. Redneck. Redneck 5. Are we actually – now, are, I, I think this one runs to 6, or at least this arc does, I'm thinking, perhaps. Okay. Um, lots of lots of reveals. Lots of reveals. Um some surprises. I mean, this is it gets its uh, gets its mojo back here um, after that flashback yeah, issue. Yeah, the vampire sort of just, family of Texas, as it were. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. So I mean, I, I, Redneck's uh, one of those books that 
it doesn't have enough of a the arc isn't so strong that you're kind of looking forward to the end of the narrative you can't sort of see that because what um what's his name the writer oh uh Denny Gates Cates? Donnie Gate Cates Donnie Donny Cates. Cates yeah thank you he uh just the way he plots the book to introduce the characters without really revealing um sort of the whole a plot of the arc you know he's always keeping the emphasis moving which has been really kind of cool um you know it's a good it's a good practice for an independent book even if it's an ongoing just because you don't know how long it's going to be ongoing and this way you never I don't know you don't get cut off at the end you don't have to rush a finish you know you yeah he's a very measured guy now I mean this is like I think this the second thing of his I wrote that the god sword thing which I thought was a nice parable and it went on for like five issues or something. It was fine, but it wasn't anything to shake my testicles over. But Redneck is pretty good. Uh, it shows a much more um, uh, complex storytelling method on his behalf than he showed in the earlier series I read by him. And uh, the characters, I mean, before he works with a set of characters, but here they're much more uh, individuals and their their relationships to each other are much more complicated. And uh, it's kind of interesting that he... His writing, or at least his published works, show a quantum leap from one another. I think, and of course, they're aided by uh, Lissandro Etheren's uh, beautiful yes. cartoony drawing. It's a very expressionistic type of book. It's cool vampire shit, man. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. <sighs> all right, Killer Burn. be killed, man. Tell and me all want to about, talk about it. Brubaker, like, Tell me all well, about Killer Be Killed. I'm not going to get you onto the train or anything like that. Uh, but it's kind of funny because my customers, they're like, uh, you know, it's, they're still they're still buying it. You know, despite my protestations, I can't kill sales on the book because uh, <laughs> my customers, are like, I said, yeah, but the protagonist is such an asshole. And for some reason, that doesn't mind for most of these people. They don't seem mm. to mind that. It's interesting. So I, I picked it up and I read 11 and 12. That came out Wednesday. And I'm saying, you know. It's kind of interesting because the, the the setup you get, now you can argue with him as a waste of time, but once it's cleared up, it leads or it seeks fine into the next arc here where the kid's already too far in. And it doesn't matter whether his belief or reality or anything, he's already killed some of the wrong people. And it, it it's like it doesn't matter now because he's on a different phase and it's working out pretty good. And it's very much in the – um. Uh, tomb of the type of noirish characters he likes in film and crime film and stuff like that. So I'm still on board. Uh, the artwork is great. Uh, Sean Phillips has taken a kind of a expressive use of brush strokes lately, which is very unusual for him. Um, still thinking about that. And uh, Elizabeth Brightweiser's colors are still gorgeous as always. So I don't know. You're not going to have to revisit the book. I won't force it on you. I know. But it's still, it's, 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 I don't know, it's like a good soap opera. <laughs> it's just, this guy's really not crazy, but it doesn't matter because he killed the Russian guy. Well, anyway, he kills this Russian, and it doesn't matter whether he's crazy or not anymore. So, at any rate, I'm still on board with the book, and 
I'm looking at uh, what's her name's colors again. Why we're uh, just kind of uh, night sabering around? Uh, I was like looking at some of these pages, and I cannot remember a colorist doing work this good in quite some time. And it's just because it's all computer oriented now, and it's just utterly gorgeous stuff. I weep openly when I see it. It's good. That good. Anyway, anyway, I'm on kill or be killed again. I'm sorry. Oh, and by the way, you got to hear this. Uh, we were talking about editors, and I said I would come back to the word editor once we start talking about Kill or Be Killed, right? Check this out. Eric Stevenson, he's the publisher of Image. Uh-huh. Editorial supervision, he's listed as. You see, and that's, I'm like, no, 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 we need editors. They were doing so good. That's what made Fade Out so good. Yes. You know, we were able and this to- one started with an editor, didn't it? Didn't David Brothers start with them on this? You maybe. I can't remember off the top of my head. But it, it certainly seems that way. I mean, it's kind of funny because he makes this – and I'm not saying this guy. He's not really annoying anymore. He seems to be not powerless anymore. He's he's taken charge now, and he's uh, smoothed out some of the surfaces, I guess, as far as problems with him existing. Because, you know, in the beginning, you just don't like him because he's an asshole. And he's yeah. on your nerves. He's very annoying, you know. And you're like, damn, you know. But he's thinks, he starts thinking here, and it works. Anyway, another you know another good mainstream read you should be reading if you're 17 or older. I can't believe it. I I'm going to have to read it someday. Yeah, you might have to. I'm going to I mean like it's still Sean Phillips and Betty Brewster yeah. or whatever, you know, like fuck. Right. Yes. Right wiser. Like that's not fucking fair that I'm going to have to read Killer Be Killed. Ugh. There's a, yeah, there's a two page scene where he's like driving around with this guy in the car and it's raining. And I swear to God, it's just like one of the most beautifully colored like scenes of a car going through rain I've ever seen on streets. I'm like, oh, this is beautiful. You could do stained glass windows this and I go to the church it was in. Damn it. All right. Anyway, uh, Kill the Minotaur 3. You know, it's still fine. Still yeah, monsters and shit and aliens, maybe. Who knows? Like Aliens are so handy, aren't they? I it's was amazing how handy they are, you know? So, you know, it's fun. Well, they do add a new zip to the old Minotaur story, right? They do, I mean... they do add a new zip to the old Minotaur. And, they, you know, it's a fine updating this... Um... You this sort of action oriented comic is is relatively new. Yeah. Like you didn't have mini series like this. Um it's possibly one of the good benefits of I don't know what's his face? That fuck it Kirkman. Oh, just that yeah, sort of, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, the rise of Kirkman. Well, just the whole general rise of him as an image guy. Um, you know, his stable of books are pretty interesting, even though uh, him and a couple of them sucked all holly high hell. Some of them are pretty good. But this is a, this is this sort of, uh, I guess what decompressed storyline would be one way of putting it. Like it's, they, they've balanced, um, a decompressed storyline. And what it is, is that you don't do too much talking heads. 
you do better action art. Yeah, action art. Because I was going to say it's kind of like a B-movie, a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Right, our guy. Our guy that we love, Victor Gishler. He's a perfect yes. example of this. But, um, but you know, when you think back to, what is it, issue five or six of Ultimate Spider-Man, the Bendis, uh, the first series, it was an all-action chase scene, uh, Spidey after the Green Goblin at the church or whatever. Maybe a five-minute read. Right. And, you know, Bendis would be famous for those, right? You'd get, yeah. you know, a four-minute read because all it is is some, two people talking or something yeah. like that. So the thing is, is that Mark Bagley's not – the visual pacing, it, that's not – it's like Tommaso's chase scenes. It's like David Aja's action scenes. They're letting the artists determine the pacing uh, a lot more organically than – That's a good point, yeah they ever did back in the day of stretching shit out for the trade. You know, if you recognize an artist's strengths, you can get more out of them too, but that's the thing. I mean, Kettner's pretty good and he can do this kind of stuff standing on his head. So yeah. he's doing fine so far, but good, good, like twist to like old fairy tales or what would this be? Mythology. mythology. I'm not sure. yeah. Yeah, mythology. Yeah. Good stuff though. All right, man. Here's one that's that's it's it's actually gotten some saving graces for us. We're like two old men. We don't like anything anymore. Um, Kaiju Max comes back a little no, bit. No, no, no. Slam. Ooh, Slam Next Jam. I'm sorry. Yes, that's one of mine. Man, Slam Next Jam. The uh, comic about girls and roller derby. Um, what more need be said? The technical stuff. The the matches. The the uh, interplayer interaction relationships, the the whole scene, the technical. It's just – it's so much fun. It's like a, a young girl's comic for grown men. Um, <laughs> I just kind of like it. It's pretty funny. I'm, I'm obsessed by li- learning about roller derbies and the people that, that ride them. And I'm just, wow, okay. But other than that, it's still a pretty good comic despite my own weird fetishisms. Uh the second series is the first issue called Next Jam, and uh, it uh, starts off fine. They have a new artist. Who is that new artist? Son of a gun. Did I even bring one of those in here with me? I did not. Hold on. Yeah, uh, you got that one handy. I didn't get no sign. I could have swore I brought a jam with me. Maybe it's at the end. It's at the end? Um, no. Yeah, they got a new young lady. Yeah, Julia. Yeah, she's new and she's fine. She does a, a perfect fill-in and she captures the style and mood perfectly. The book, good stuff. Anyway, your 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 money is well spent with Slam Next Jam. That's all I can say. Is that who is that? Image or Boom? I think that's a Boom. It's a Boom. It's a boom. Yeah, Boom's got a good one. That's a good one. Uh, I'll talk about the trade in a minute. So, as Vern was saying about Kaiju Max, we finally are seeing some signs of uh, progress. Um, we were genuinely scared there for a minute. Those first but, couple issues were rough. Yeah, and now um, all apparently all uh, we needed was Electrogore back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were missing Electrogore, weren't we now? So Electrogore returns. Uh, he's not the focus but he is a supporting player and he's going to have things going on. It seems like in the background in one of the arcs and then the other arc is developing and 
it's moving again. Um, I'm not, it'll be interesting to someday read these in a chunk to see how those first two issues relate to the rest of the season. But at this they're point, clunky. They're, they're clunky. clunky. It's yeah. going to be, it's, it's one of those things where you're not going to be able to, Hopefully, you know, he keeps up so he can, you know, save the trade as a as a single read. Yeah, that's true. I don't, let's see. Do we have an editor on this? Let's look for that editor. Now we're on an editor finish. We got two. Oh, my. There are now two on the book, and there previously was only one, so I'm wondering if they brought on some help. Charlie Chu and Desiree Wilson. Don't Desiree's know Desiree's new. Gotcha. Well, it, the book is kind of back to form with this issue. Um, its only fault, I think, is that it treads familiar ground for us to some degree. You know, we're already there with these characters. And it's kind of like a reestablishment shot book, kind of. But it's third issue in. So yeah. it's kind of, that's probably why we aren't giving it its saving grace as a must-must read or whatever, you know. I'm, uh, I'm re-watching The Wire Season 2. And you see how they bring people in. And, you know, Canon's really sort of pioneering the idea of the comic book as a TV show. Or at least, you know, following the season thing. There have been other things that have had seasons, but that was like Buffy season seven or whatever, right? It wasn't... Yeah. I my What if Resident Alien just did seasons? You know, yeah. or just yeah. call them series. Like, it, what? What a crazy idea! And you just every, <laughs> you know, what thirteen months we get a Resident Alien book, hopefully, and you know, every eight months we get a Kaiju Max. Every, you know, ten months we get a Rocket Girl, right? Because that's yeah. back or coming back. Not in my store, but yeah. No. Rocket Girl. I'm sorry. I rode that train twice and was disappointed. No more. Three strikes bad on me. Anyway, so anyway. it's just, you know, Cannon has really figured out how to do this. And the sort of intentionally episodic um, comic book. Anyway, he's he's doing two like the first two episodes he's trying too hard to like be <sighs> surprising when you come back from a TV show you know like he's really trying to make this one character interesting and they're just really not yeah and he's he's refocusing on the romance between the doctor and the prisoner and that is like he's not it's not working no, at this point, they, they shouldn't even really, well, I don't know, I'm just being, you know, hypothetical, but I shouldn't be, but you're right, it, it feels weird, like, okay, we've been here, you know, we've been here, why are we going here again? Yeah, I, I don't want to see them together again, I'm like, this right. is unnatural and, and weird anyway. Right, it's, it's <laughs> you know, terrible, but, and it's a like the B plot, there's, you know, the two plot lines are sort of equal, that plot, yes. and then the goat. And it's just like, okay, maybe the goat could have his own plot line, but then you need to have the doctor and that P 
piece of shit monster need to be. Right. Um, we'll call him pause piece of like shit. a C plot. Like there needs to be three plot lines going here instead right. of just two. And at 20 pages a month, well, then you just stick with two. I think that's your best bet. Well, it was, it, you're right. It, it's kind of there, almost there, you know, but it was a satisfying issue, but not superlative, which you come to expect out of this. Mm-hmm. And you wonder, like, maybe he should take a break next time or something. I don't know. We'll see. Three issues in, he could still save it. But uh, it's frustrating when you love a book so much and then it doesn't quite perform the same way in third art. Sacred Creatures. Did you get to read two on this one? I read two and three. I read three before the podcast. Oh, lucky you. you For whatever reason, that one missed my mark. I I just didn't see that in my head. I don't know why it is. Must be from getting old. So let me ask you about three. We liked one and two to some degree. Um, I think I had slight reservations because, again, I couldn't, like, grasp the characters. You know, you really want to care about the characters. So how would three do for you? Yeah, it's a flashback issue. Yeah. Talk it, but it's only about the romantic drama between the protagonist and his girlfriend because it turns out that she's like gonna be a Roseberry's baby type situation. Oh shit, spoilers, you're not reading the book anyway. Sorry, people. <laughs> but uh, oops. oops, like oops, but you know, we kind of got to talk about that because yeah, that's they it's like they're going off of an outline and it's like, what do we want to reveal at the end of issue three? This. What do we want to reveal at the end of issue four? This. But they don't have enough content to get from the end of two to the three. What uh-huh. it is, is it, it ties back into that plotting thing. Like, they do not have that sort of um, action comic plotting down, even though they've got an action comic. This this one reads like, this issue, the flashbacks read like a terrible romance comic. Okay. Well, instead of like an action adventure thing, because that's yeah. pretty much what it was for one uh, to do. Kept uh, running around, people dying, uh, fighting in conflict and all this shit, and just a little bit of time to to kill somebody else and then move on. You know, yeah. So, yeah. So no, it's it's all totally it's changing and it's getting really clunky, and I'm just kind of like I don't know if I care. For that's kind of disappointing. Yeah, they don't yeah. have an editor. They, they don't have an editor no. for this either. That's too bad. But Jansen's taking over art either next issue or sometime in the near future. Okay. Well, I don't know if that's going to help. He's not a penciler. He's an inker. Yeah. At least in my humble opinion. It's going to be a little weird. Yeah, it could be. you know. Hey, what are you going to do? We got three out of it. Knight's Dominion, Volume 2, Issue 1. <sighs> fool me once, shame I don't on know. me. You, I, fool I, me I, twice, I, shame I, on me. Telling you. I, I, I'm, I'm sucked into it again just because I like these stupid, type, dopey type comics, you know. I'm going to read it, you know. I read his uh, Heroines one. You should look that one up, okay? Yeah. I'm not reading Heroines after Issue 2. Um, this one I get by with. It... it but you're right. He pulled the rug on us on that last one. So I'm like, I'm ex- approaching this with quite trepidation, you know? Just, you know, it's good. I mean, there's some good, really good. It's, he seems to have adjusted uh, to whatever this new schedule or whatever's going on. Um, but 
you know, I'm very hesitant because we were in a pretty good place at the end of Knights Dominion Volume One, Number One, Two. You know, at least through two and three, anyway, and then three or four, the wheels came off the wagon for a I while. I think it was three. Yeah, and that was scary because we didn't know where to go. And you don't want to do that to your readers. <laughs> it's not fair, you know. And but he's got a pretty good solid issue one here again, reestablishing the characters and. And keeping things moving, it's kind of like a good Dungeons and Dragons type of comic with all the different characters yeah. and whatnot. It seems kind of like formulaic, Naifa to a degree, you know. And he's desperately trying to find something that's going to sell and put his name out there. There's no doubt about it. This is definitely pandering. How he, whatever happened to a movie deal for Courtney Crumran, however that got fucked up. Arcade like, Dowling kill it. I, I can't imagine it would, but I don't know. Whatever the, the sad story of that is, you know, because that should have been a, that should have been a movie. Like he should have been able to sell the movie rights to that and whatever. Yeah. You know, that's true. There they got bought out by Disney or something foul like that, you know, yeah. but yeah, that was, that was good stuff. And there's no reason even, even, even shit like Polly and the Pirates would sell. But, you know, it's very Disney-esque, too. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, we're back on board with Knight's Dominion. We didn't really jump off last time. We just got sad. Yeah, we just got quite sad. That's right. Because you don't jump off an IFA book, apparently. You can jump off at Brubaker books, but you can't jump off Ted Nyafe. Um, Sorry, Ed. Well, Ed publishes a lot more books than Ted Nifa, so he does. Uh, can't read them all, baby. I can't, can't believe I'm gonna, I'm you know, gonna have if, to fucking read that book. If you were a writer and somebody said said to me, "I read all your books," you know, do you feel positive or weird about them? You know, <laughs> I've read all your books. Like, oh, you don't have other writers you want to read or anything like that? Yeah, you didn't. You said that to Garth Ennis, though. <laughs> yeah, I'm such a pussy. <laughs> <laughs> I was in awe of the presence of the mighty Garth Ennis. Oh, anyway. Okay, so. Um, What's next on the hit list? Mr. Mr. Miracle. Miracle. I read issue one. I don't know why you think I wouldn't read issue one of Mr. Miracle. Goes insane, but not really, and loses his powers or is dying, but not really. So they go to other universes, and it's like a fucking spike. But not really. But not really. And maybe his wife's <laughs> not his wife, but not really. Oh, everything's a conspiracy. <laughs> oh my God. I, I know, don't give a I shit. I, I think, yeah, I know you don't give a shit. It's just, yeah, you got to be into the superhero stuff or, or not to some degree. And I don't know, so far for two, for two issues in, they've got enough complexity in the series. And what do you call that? Professional skill that I'm still reading it. I don't know if I'll read it forever, but I read two issues. I can't, I don't want this kind of startup for a character coming back, right? We're no, it's very, it's very oblique, you know, for a character that they're like, trying to come back, right? I, I actually just want my superhero comics to be simple. <laughs> like yeah, we'll, Hawkeye we'll was a simple book. Right. Even when they added Kate, it was a simple book. You know, the promise of Hawkeye with alternating arcs that they lied to us about 
You know, that that's a tragedy. But I mean, it's just a simple. I mean, there was a lot of shit going on with the Kate one. But even when there's shit going on, it's not like Mr. Miracle where, you know, I guess they had to come out and make a statement that it was part of Rebirth or something. It's just like, I want my DC books to be simple because if they're trying to get readers back by undoing all of their nonsense, then they just need to make things simple for a while. They're not going to do anything. Perhaps they just need to ignore everything and just bring the characters back and bring what they are. Perhaps. I don't know. You know, like, wasn't there a whole thing last year before they announced Rebirth that they were going to start doing out of continuity limited series and shit? And then yes. Rebirth came out of nowhere. Well, they're doing, they started, they did one, they started one with Nightwing. And they argued that the Supergirl one that we read was out of continuity. Oh, yeah, that's got to be. And uh, they're and they're doing other stuff, so they're going to do stuff that's out of continuity, which is fine. I don't know why they ever thought they had to be limited to continuity in the first place. Um, not if you're trying to publish ninety books a month, that gets dull fast. Um, I don't have that problem with Mister Miracle. I think is a basic tool as to whether or not it's going to get new readers on. I don't think it is. Uh, you have to be pretty well versed in the DC universe to kind of understand the relationships between these characters and stuff. It's not really spelled out, but it's, it's all right, but you're right. The, the appearance of Scott, now he gets a lot more, he gets very violent in the second issue. Right. And I know that, uh, who's the writer on this? Uh, Tom King, he's hot potatoes right now at DC. He's trying to do something different, but I don't know. There's enough of the, the old trappings to keep it along that route. But the fact that he, has to be such a violent character is very much odd for this guy. Like I expect big Barda to be mean and odd and killing and all that kind of stuff, but not him, you know, cause he escapes. He doesn't confront people, you know, um, a mixed bag. I give it a mixed bag for me. I mean, I I'm still conflicted about how far I want to continue on with it, but at least they draw eyes in light ray, which is a weird habit. Some artists have lately. It's like, Let's not put pupils in Light Ray's eyes anymore. And I'm like, when the fuck did they start doing that? It's so stupid. At least at least in this book, Light Ray, Light Ray has his fucking eyeballs back. <sighs> okay. Right. Dastardly and Muttley. Yeah, or something. Scott Dennis. Did you read it? I did. Jesus Christ. What the f- I hope he's getting paid well for this one. Not because it's bad or anything, but it's just like pretty meta. It's like meta Garth Ennis. You're not sure you want to read it. I, I I sold out of it. I got all of eight copies and I sold them all. The art's so, nice. Like yeah, it's yeah. this fucking it's Garth Ennis like doing a straight fucking dastardly and muttly adaptation about you know some. Espionage. Well, the first question you have to yourself is, how does he bring a dog to reality? And then he has this fucked up thing, you know, with a drone <laughs> drug that's out of control, releasing reality-altering psychedelic gas or whatever the hell it is. And it's just so bizarre. I mean, did he make it up when he was on the crapper one day or something? I don't know. Like, he, he's walking by the editorial offices at DC and they're sitting there, oh, we need a monthly and dastardly pitch. 
So he goes home and he comes back the next day with this written on a piece of toilet paper. <laughs> just, it's just so fucking goofy, you know? I'm like, where is he at with this shit, you know? Like, uh, I don't know. At three ninety nine, I don't think I'll be oh, around. Oh no, is it? Oh, well, there are any book now that DC puts out is three ninety nine, except oh. for their two ninety nine biweeklies. Damn it! Oh my god, that is. Yeah, they had to follow Marvel. Then it's you know six. You have, to, you have to. Yeah, and it's six and, um, issues too. Yeah, that you know was that four times twenty four bucks to read this thing, and I'm like. You know, I don't know if I could be on Garth Ennis' side on this one. I'm going to give it one more issue to see what the hell he pulls out of his ass here, okay? It doesn't mean anything. But if it's more gibberish, I'm just going to leave it down and not recommend <laughs> no. it. You know? Oi, oi. Which <sighs> just goes to show you, you can't have a slavish devotion to anybody. <laughs> they have to work for a living. And by God, they'll screw you over eventually when they need... <laughs> And they had to fucking do that odd script for the this week's Red Money or whatever the fuck it is, you know? Oh. Uh, so there are two sides of Garth Ennis. One good, one bad. It's yeah. like the Two-Face coin. Which one will show up today? Uh, well, a lot of interesting reads. Not all perfect this week. I'd have to say I'd go for like maybe a 7 out of 10 as far as my overall satisfaction with this week's books is concerned. Just numerize it, you know? Just give it a number. I don't know. But we got some TPs we got to mention real quick, too. And I'll blow through these before we get to the, the most interesting one of all. Uh, comic history of the American Comic Use Universe. Is that what it's called? Jeez, I forgot to bring a copy with me back. I'm one of the worst reviewers in mankind. Oh, uh, where are you? You know, I don't have it. Where is it? Yep. Anyway, it's American Comics History. Published by Image. No. You know, I better go get the thing. Okay, I'm mean, it. <laughs> yeah, the comic book history of comics, birth of a media, the four color. From IDW, sorry guys, by uh, Van, Lent, Van Lente and Dunleavy. And this was a six-issue mini that was collected in the trade that came out recently. That's a nice piece of work for somebody that wants to dabble in comic book history and would like something that's easy that goes down and is quick to read and covers the more important parts of the 20th century and the uh, American publishing history. And I liked it. I mean, I'm a little deeper than that, but uh, I found this was a really nice introductory things that anybody wants to go go for and check out. Now, who's the cartoonist on this? Ryan Dunlavey. I had problems looking at his stuff for 100 plus pages. He's all right, okay? But I got tired of it. But you know what? He's serviceable, and I'll give him that. He gets you through it, and I'll give him that. So while this book has its uh, flaws visually... It's a nice introductory lesson to American comic book history and a nice gift for people who might be as well. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, Slam one, uh, Slam Volume 1. Uh, the recent series I mentioned, Slam Next Jam, was preceded by Slam. And it's the introduction to women and roller derby. Highly recommended. Collects the first five in one trade from Boom, was it? I hope it's Boom. I'm really boom. having a rough time. I'm having boom. a rough time at the end of the night here. 
And I highly recommend it. Get this for any, um, if you think about age group, late grade school. Jupiter's okay. Legacy, Volume 2, Mark Millar's latest fucking heaping of shit that he threw us. God. <laughs> you know, he, he made, you know, him and Frank quietly made everybody wait again for the ending to this thing like they did for the first series. Exact duplicate. Months go on and is it going to finish? It's going to finish. It's going to finish. It's going to finish. It's going to finish. It's fucking broken record. And finally it does. And it's a fucking hot mess. It's just... Uh, has a nice, sweet, syrupy ending, and it's not worth waiting for. And I'm just—I don't know if I'll ever read Mark Millar again after this. I'm very mad. I don't know if I'll ever read another Frank Quietly after this. Mm. All right, let's get to the good stuff. All right, Alex Sinner, Volume One from oh. IDW's Euro Comics imprint. Oh, uh, got about 395 pages, I think. Not that big, but pretty close. No, it's it's. 350 to 395. I know that. Yeah, what do we got? I got it in front of me and I clock it in at 390. You're right. Um, What are their names? Jose Munoz is the artist and Carlos Sampaio is the writer. And they, you know, they put the artists first in a lot of European things okay. they do here too. Yeah. So, um, what a fucking amazing book. I mean, out of history from the late seventies to the early eighties, and most people on Earth do not know this this exists, and that is so sad. Alex Sinner is a private detective in New York, although New York is not evident right off the bat. That comes in later. They have overt well, reference to New York. They do. It comes in. Well, the first story because they arrange the stories in chronological order of when they take place. That first story with his origin. That's from later. That's from later. Yeah. And then I think, so I think the second story is really the first one. Yeah. And so you get this very weird experience um, because of how the, the first story sets up the character. And then you go into it and they don't have him that refined yet. He is really, you, you see him, you see him sort of fully rendered in this first one. And then it, it kicks off into reducing him back into sort of a, just a PI, just a moody PI. And you see like there, the first two um, cases there's not a lot going on besides the case. It's just them doing this interesting mystery. And then it starts. There's, but in the third story, I think it is, there's the first hint of social commentary. And then from there it just balloons out or explodes with Viet blues which is 40 pages. So my big problem with this is IDW needs to reprint this in issues. I, I actually think they need to reprint this in smaller size trades of just the individual stories because how much is the book? The book's expensive. 40 bucks. That's actually yeah. not that bad for what you get. No, not for all. The, oh, it's a steal at $40. So, that's full retail. 
But I just feel like, you know, to get the word out there about Alex Sinner, there needs to be issue releases. Well, for for people of your age not to know this, you're no spring chicken either, but you never heard of him prior I've to this, right? never heard of him. And it's just this fucking thing. And you're just like, this is the best thing ever. Like, It is possibly one of the most expressionistic strips ever done in the medium by a couple of Argentinians uh, being reprinted in Europe and translated version for us to have. It's like a phone book of juicy goodness. It's, and uh, please go ahead. You get to the so. One of my comments, because I didn't even do a post on this, because like, how could you? Like, I don't have the book. I got it from the library. You know, yeah. you want to you want to do a post on you want to write about Alex Sinner. You got to probably sit there and have a copy of the book. You can tear apart to assemble as needed. You know, it's it's a major. It. <sighs> I can't think of anything because it's not because it's it's the way they're doing the storylines. I don't you can't I can't tell what the original publication format was like, how long it was, whether or not it was serialized, whatever. But just the way the pacing works, the the Viet Blues, it, it, it what's his face? Campayo has established the sort of pacing for it that you're just drawn into the structure of it, but then you you, you lose track of time as it sort of slows down to just being about a conversation and about a mood in New York city at this one particular time. And then, you know, Munez does these establishing shots outside while Alec is arguing about race relations with, um, black militants. And it's just amazing. And it's just tragic. And, you know, it gets shaky for a while. You're not done, though. You actually have the best is yet to come. The last story in the book is 90 pages, and it is like a fucking novel. It is wow. amazing. Yeah. It, 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 you know, it, like, it, it's hard to categorize something like this. It's easy to call it, like, just crime and film noir. And, and, and the protagonist is certainly born from these type of things, but it becomes so much different type of strip quickly. Like the Mm -hmm. imagination of the writer and artist just kind of wanders along, but it still kind of has an interior structure of its own. And Munoz artwork starts on the very first story. Like he's got structure down pat. He's a very classical cartoonist. He studied the old masters and he knows exactly what to do. And, where to put lines. And then by the end of the story, you start seeing them taking chances, like these little expressional types of things with eyes or weird fascinations with hair or, you know, and he just draws organically, you know, like whatever goes through his head. But it still retains a structure. He still disciplines the entire goofy, moody trip that he's on. And as you see his art, 
develop as time goes on, you're just amazed at the huge vocabulary of lines and mark makings that he has. He never stops inventing all the way through the thing, and it's just a a visual uh, encyclopedia of what to do with a pen on paper all the way through this thing. Like Eduardo Rizzo probably learned from this guy. Maybe Mm -hmm. I don't know, but it's it's very similar, but Rizzo is structured, you know, very tight. So one of the interesting things about it is when toward the second half of it, you see um, real events play out like it's there i think there's actually like a strike at one point or something that they play against for a second but then it becomes a lot more um obvious uh the last story plays out i think against reagan's re-election you know and there's political stuff going on in the background and sinner's responses are to you know his mystery stuff when that's still going on are a response to um, what's culturally going on is is weighing on him. You know, he is this. Oh, God, the, the last story, Vern. You just oh, yeah, it's, yeah. You have such a treat, <laughs> like an unbelievable treat in store for you. Like you know, I, I, Fanographics published these many many years ago in. I'll call them more or less periodical format because it was like a thicker comic magazine size thing mm-hmm. and they were called sinners. And I think they maybe got three, maybe four issues out, I think. And it was very groundbreaking at the time. And it was very different than this phone book too. You know, it had more of a magazine feel to it and it was just very different, but they only had like 48 pages or something compared to this stuff, you know? So, but just to find this stuff and to think that there's another volume of this shit that's yet to come. I know that's the most amazing part, you know, I hope they make money off this. Now from a publisher's viewpoint, I can see that because this is probably the only way they could get this stuff out there. It's got to be in a trade paperback format. Yeah. And to, to say, okay, how many, how many volumes can you commit people to buy of Jose Munoz? So to get it down to as few as possible, I think is fair even though they had to sacrifice on the paper quality somewhat a little yeah. bit, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but it still holds the black. It does. It's, still a, it's a very educated uh, choice of paper. Like, okay, we can't give you the best paper, but um, it holds all of Mignos' yeah. artwork perfectly. You could do photocopies off this and mm-hmm. they come out fine, you know, but man, he, he just, he never stops evolving as an artist. That's what's freaky about this fucking thing. He never stops. He's like the Picasso of artists. To some you don't, degree, you know? don't know yet, Bird. You don't even know what's coming. Ooh, boy, I can't wait. We'll have to top it off on our next podcast yeah. anyway, you know, and talk about that. But this is, this is one really great book, fans. And Alec, that's, it's not Alec, it's A-L-A-C-K, Sinner, by Jose Munoz and uh, Carlos Sampaio. The Age of Innocence, and it's one of two projected volumes. And every serious comic book lover should have a tomb of this on their shelves. They really should. Yeah. You'll steal the one from your local comic dealer. <laughs> Too late. He's already stolen it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that brings that, us to the end of comics. Yeah, the end of comics. I don't know if there's anything else. There's no shows on yet because we went through the summer. We watched right? Defenders. 
Yes, that's right. I did. I, yeah, we can talk about the defenders. That's a good one. Yeah. Much more satisfying than Iron Fist, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that Colleen Wing is the brains in that group. Let me. Oh my it. God, they are so terrible. They are so. Te- is that how is that? I so I'm watching the show. Did I text you about this? No, not that I remember. Are you sure? Like because I was like, at some point we're watching it and we're like. The only thing that they ever do is, you know, he says something and she goes, Danny. And it's like they have this terrible rhythm to their scenes. It's like a fucking terrible version of uh, any. So that's what I wanted to know. Is the actual show like, you know, the fucking mentalist, like she has to, like, carry him or take care of him out in public? Well, he's, you know, being uh, the immortal Iron Fist. No, it's not quite that bad. He's he's the lead in Iron Fist, okay? He's not the lead in here with Colleen Wing. The scenes of them together, she just takes over, I think. Okay. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a goofy relationship. And you're like, why is she sticking with him? And, you know, she's the brains of the outfit or whatever. You know, this is why I'm watching The Defenders. And, I'm, and then you watch them against the other actors and you're just like... So, like, they didn't get anybody who could act willing to be an Iron Fist? Because the other yeah. actors are so fucking good. Like, you yeah, get to it, Matt it, Murdock, and you're, it's like, I'd forgotten how fucking good he can be. Yes, like, that guy's got Mur- Matt Murdock down pat. Yeah, you know? like, and it's just Karen Page is back, and, you know, fucking Foggy's Funny. there. And Jessica's there, and Trish is Jessica. there for a second, and Rosaria Dawson's there, and you're just like, they got all these fucking good, great actors, right? Yeah. And then they got the fucking Iron Fist couple, and you're just yeah. like, nobody wanted to be on this show. That's the only explanation. <laughs> nobody wanted to be on Iron Fist. So, I mean, and even though the show is very amusing, uh, once it gets going, it takes a couple episodes to get going. It just, you know, it plays off the energy of the cast, <clears throat> except for Iron Fist. And, you know, it gets it done. But the thing is, <clears throat> it ends like with hinting at what's coming next. And Iron Fist is going to embrace being a vigilante. And I'm just like, this sounds like the worst fucking show ever because he's, it's, he's, he's just not good at being Iron Fist. Like they're fucking it up. They're making him sort of this surfer or not. He's like a hippie Iron Fist. Who's not really that good at his Kung Fu yet. Why the fuck isn't he good at his Kung Fu? (laughs) Like explain it to me, Vern. Why isn't he good at his Kung Fu? They don't have a good editor. No, but I mean, like, he's not even really supposed to be good at his kung fu. Like, he's, he's supposed to be the best that Kung Lun has to offer. Right. He's fucking Danny Rand, man. Like, right. that's like the thing about Danny Rand. It's like he's a Hawkeye. Like, they're they're great at what they do. Like, it's and then the rest of the time they're just dipshits. Yeah. Like, Danny's just like a dipshit, but not this level of dipshit. Like. He's he he can kick anybody's ass. That's the fucking point of iron. It's just right, and he should do so effortlessly for most of these people. Yes, he has to work a little hard on the peons. So peons should just fall. Well, other than that, we, other we, than we, the Iron Fist, it was fine. You know, it was yes. like fun. 
It was it was fine eight episodes. I'm glad they did it at eight. It forced the creative people on the series to kind of focus and come to a resolution and whatever. I, I was I, I thought they didn't have to do the ending with Daredevil. I no. thought it was better just to let him think that he was you know yeah. in another state. Instead, they bring that in there, and that leads to a Marvel comic book series that Miller did. So they're really slavish on the Miller over there, Daredevil. And that's actually been to the series good. Whoever photographed the Daredevil fight scenes was much better than just about anybody else working on the show. Yeah. So, you know, Defenders, still, cool. Yeah, and I still want to be Luke Cage, man. He's badass. Was there just something in there of him and Jessica getting back together again? No, no, good. At the end, and I didn't catch this. I thought she was just being a, a jerk. At the yeah. end, he's like leaving, and she's like, "Yeah, maybe you know we're friends. Maybe we'll get coffee sometime." And he just gives <laughs> her a look and leaves. And I'm like, "Oh, that's right, coffee's sex." Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about Luke Cage and coffee. That's right, he has sex with other women. He wants to have coffee with. Remember that. It's the running joke on Luke Cage. So it was it was actually really interesting. But oh, so the one thing that I do have to say is whoever choreographed the fights on this did use actual Power Man and Iron Fist comics because they have the scenes where Danny's hiding behind Luke. Right. And I'm like, okay, so this is like that fight scene at the end of episode three or four, you know, the like 14 minute fight scene through the You know, office. that was the best one in that the film. That was fucking amazing. It? Yeah, and they then, had the best right off. And then they never top it. And I'm like, you guys must have known this was great. Why don't you top it? Like, what the right. fuck is wrong with you? It was very obvious that the best <clears throat> fight scene in the whole series was on early in the series. Yeah. The finale. And I was like. Okay, we get to watch Electra and Matt beat the shit out of each other, which is kind of fun sex, you know. But uh, not quite as good as that fight scene earlier. No. <laughs> what a weird fetishistic type of love they have, you know. I'll beat you up and I'll that beat you up. That was unexpectedly effective, too. Like It kind of was, yeah, yeah. Like It was just this terrible, like, Bride of Frankenstein type ending. Oh, where, like, shit. It, it, it was weird that he like uh, was it just me or is it like well, do you really want to get back together man because she's kind of like you know risen from the dead and shit man I she's mean, like really... fucking insane like yeah. you really be putting your shit in there man I don't know <laughs> I don't know it's pretty <sighs> creepy you know and the way she callously uh, takes care of her leader too I was like man that's cold man that's insane cold you know what I mean yeah so yeah she's really good she's really electro <gasps> I love her forever. <laughs> that Maddie was hopeless dope. Oh man! But you're right. That was a much more effective uh, show than uh, Iron Fisticuffs. I, I didn't like the way they brought. I was like, "What is they?" Because at the end of Iron Fist, they go all the way to Kunlun and discover Kunlun, and then like at the beginning of the show, they like come back, and I'm like, "Well, what happened?" And you know, they eventually fight their way to London. Oh yeah, the answer is in New York. And I'm like, you know, they just fucking came from New York, motherfuckers. <laughs> I go, did, was this like a, uh, a faux pas on you guys' behalf, you know? But I don't know. You know, this is TV logic, so. But I enjoyed those. You're right. Those are fun. Everybody should watch those. Um, well, hopefully next time we're together, we have some more stuff because CW starts by then. Who knows? Yeah, CW get a third starts in a of, month. Yeah. Can, can we get through a third season? There's the ultimate question. Can Flash and Supergirl entertain us 
for a third season. That's a very tough nut to crack. And uh, Punisher. We'll see. I want... They haven't announced it yet. Maybe they'll be assholes and like release it right when this arrow comes back or something. Well, that's fine. Who watches arrow? Nobody fucking watches arrow. Nobody watches arrow. Nobody. Um, People say they watch arrow and really don't watch arrow. That's true. Actually, like during arrow, because it's on Wednesday nights, um, I would be able to see when people were watching it, like based on looking back at older tweets and now nobody's even watching it like no no because all they were saying is why the hell do i still watch this i hate this why am i watching (laughs) this i I used to watch it i watched first couple seasons it's so bad why am i still watching this oh they had a good chance here and they ruined it why should i watch this like that's actually how they sounded uh, last season when they had the commercials, like, are there like a hundred characters on Arrow now? I can't keep track of how many people there's there are. There's like six story. vigilantes, yeah. and they're all bad. Like, the, yep. the acting is just terrible. And I was like, how did you not give this show some acting money once you gave all your other shows acting money? How fucked up is it that Legends of Tomorrow has better acting money than Arrow. Yeah, Arrow was one of their early shows, and they got into the slave-type mentality early on that one and just kept through it, you know? You're young, you're cheap, you work for us, that's how it works, you know? Everybody on Legends is more or less a more experienced actor, maybe. I don't know. True. You you know more than that about that than I do. Because you refuse to watch it. What? Legends. I, I love Legend. I watched the second season. I oh, never saw the first one. Right. That's right. I'm addicted. Yeah. I've forgotten I'm this. How did I, how did I forget this? All right. So that's pretty much it. Um, are that you, is. Have you, you've got a Wonder Woman's out on DVD. Are you going to watch it? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. TV is where it's at for me. I'm sorry. Movies just don't. Superhero movies, I just don't care anymore. But you know what? It doesn't mean you shouldn't read the comic books. Well, maybe you shouldn't read those either. I don't know. Yeah. We'll figure that out. <laughs> but we'll have more independent books because we don't read the Marvel and DC stuff no. because we, we want you to read good stuff. Yeah. There are just too goddamn many good books to read life. You don't waste time with the bad ones. Anyway, we'll see you in about four weeks plus, kids. Six we weeks. Six, six weeks. weeks. We're promising yeah. six weeks because we can accomplish that. So that's like first week of November. All right. Sounds like a plan. Perfect. Good night. Night, everybody.